Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to The Hiker Podcast. Heading out on our own with our hope in the clouds, and we're starting to see that we're on to something. Feel it coming. We'll keep running. Nothing in our way, and we got no reason to wait. Let the journey take you where it wants to. We'll continue to find our way through anything we face. We got what it takes. Here we go. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast that gets to know the hiker behind the trekking poles, the podcast that asks the why questions of hiking, the podcast that asks hikers, how has hiking changed you and how are you changing the world around you? The podcast that takes me, Andy, a new hiker and just talks about hiking with experienced and 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 unexperienced and, and just cool people in the outdoor and hiking industry. You're listening, of course, to the Hiker Podcast brought to you by Canuck Outdoors, makers of the carbon fiber cork trekking poles and CS Instant Coffee, the best instant coffee on the trail. If you want to find out more about our sponsors, check out all the stuff in the description of this episode or just listen at the end. I got lots to say about them, including how you can win a free year of CS Instant Coffee. Also, big thank you to our Patreons who support this show week in and week out the intro music you heard was brand new um i'm gonna start doing that every week put in a different song every week um but this week's song was where the adventure begins by tim halperin and uh check out the link in the description of this episode if you want to listen to it on spotify this week i'm super excited about our interview gail muller is an adventurer a hiker an educator and author she has a book coming out next week um I, I'm, I'm super excited to have her. I do have to warn you, the connection was a little weird because she is in the UK, so the, the audio isn't the best I'm up to my normal quality, but I just want to get right into this episode. So without any further ado, I want to introduce to you adventurer, hiker, educator, author from Cornwall, United Kingdom, Gail Muller. Hey there, hikers. I am so excited to have our next guest on the show. She has a book coming out here next week, I believe. I already have it on pre-order. Um, and she has hiked the Appalachian Trail, has, hi- has hiked and, and traveled all over the United States, all the way from the UK. Gail Muller is on the show. How are you doing today, Gail? Hello, Andy. It's so nice to be here on the show. I'm doing great. Uh, coming to you from... Cornwall in the UK today, which is where I live. I'm delighted to be here. So before we get into it, people want to know who you are, where you come from. Just all those questions hikers like to know. You meet someone on the trail. Just tell us about yourself. Sure. So I am 43 Cornish, which is the very southwest part of the United Kingdom, surrounded by stunning kind of wild, rugged coastline. 
I've been a teacher um, and an educational advisor internationally and in the UK for about, I guess, 16 years altogether. It's been kind of the career of my life, aside from a little bit of journalism. I worked on super yachts for a while. I've done all kinds of bits and bobs. And that pathway, uh, along with managing a lifetime of chronic pain and finding recovery from that, led me to taking on hiking the Appalachian Trail and um, really finding solace, comfort, hope and joy out there in the wilderness. And it was a real crossroads moment of my life hiking the Appalachian Trail. And that's how I've ended up here with you. I wrote a book and now I get to talk to you about it. So that's me in a nutshell. Tell us about growing up in the UK. I know I've had a few guests who've grown up in the United Kingdom, and the outdoor culture there is definitely different in the United States. What was it like growing up in the UK and and being in the outdoors, or were you, were you involved in the outdoors? Did you go hiking before you went on the Appalachian Trail? What was life like then? Well, I because I live um, next to the coast in quite a rural part of the UK, the southwest in Cornwall, we are so lucky here in that we're in the outdoors as soon as we can walk or crawl. So you, if you love the sea, you can go sailing, paddleboarding. It has great surf down here, you know, in the context of the UK. Um, the surf is really good. Um, there's diving. Um, and if you want to stay on land, you've got crags for climbing, hiking. There's great trail running up and down the coastal rock paths. So the outdoors is part of our everyday living. We spend just as much time outdoors here as we do indoors. Apart from it does rain quite a lot here, Andy, but we get used to that. We're pretty rugged in the rain. Um, so I've always been outdoorsy. My family, quite a, a sailing family. My sister represented Great Britain for a very long time um, for sailing and was even in the training squad for the Olympics. So um, we're used to being rough, rugged and outdoors. But because I was ill for quite a long period of time, I didn't have as much access to the outdoors as I wanted to, which was distressing and upsetting for all the reasons I'm sure we can understand. So although my youth and growing up and my early 20s was full of outdoors life, including being a stroke rower for my local gig rowing team, which is a wooden boat with six rowing crew out on the ocean waves, I lost all of that and had to spend a reasonable amount of time kind of indoors, not moving my body so much. So then to be able to have recovered, to have found cures and resolutions to so many years of chronic pain and disability, I fully embraced getting outdoors again, having remembered what um, what a solace and a joy and a relief it is to be with the sun on your face or even the rain on your face just to not be indoors. Um, so, yeah, definitely a youth of outdoorsiness, but never, ever had hiked anything like the Appalachian Trail before I came to do that. Because here in the UK, aside from Scotland, you're not allowed to camp just anywhere outdoors. Um, everything's very regulated, even here on the southwest coastal path, which is 630 miles around four counties, and it goes around the entire outside of the county of Cornwall, where I live. Um, you're not allowed just to pitch your tent. So we don't have that random roaming freedom feeling that you guys have over there in the US that I love so much, which is you can just go and there's lands where you're allowed to put up your tent and people have taught about leave no trace. Here, we've always been quite micromanaged. And with COVID, the huge surge of everybody getting outdoors, um, it's really great health and I'm an advocate for everybody getting into the outdoors. What hasn't married up with that? is what you guys seem to do pretty well, which is the Leave No Trace advocacy, talking to people about respecting nature, respecting it, respecting the animals they come across, respecting farmers' land. So um, 
So yes, the, the American experience is different. And I think that's why I do love coming over to your wonderful country and uh, immersing myself in your hiking culture, as well as coming back here and doing a little bit of it over here too. So I was watching a video on YouTube uh, about you titled Hope Through Adversity. And it had talked about how uh, at an early age, you were told that by the age of 40, you would be confined to a wheelchair because of chronic pain. Talk a little bit about that experience of your diagnosis and what you went through in the process of being told, you know, in your teen years that you, you wouldn't be walking to by the age of 40, you're, you're hiking these big hikes. Well, I think that when I was told that by a specialist in London in my early teens, I didn't really understand the impact of it or the gravity of what they were telling me. Um, so I definitely filed it away somewhere in my head um, and didn't deal with it very well. And I just kind of accepted it quietly as always being part of my future, that at some point I would be further limited. But because I was still so strong and outdoorsy and sporty and joyful, I'm positive. I think I, I didn't think it would hold me back. So I just carried on barreling through life, having a great time. Um, and it wasn't until my early 20s when I started to get twinges through the right side of my body and my hips and things started kind of misaligning. The pain grew quite rapidly um, over the years that followed. It was then that I thought, oh, this is potentially that prognosis coming true. Um, and I think I probably realized then that I've been carrying that weight with me for quite a long time. And it has quite an effect on your mental health, even if you're not um, thinking about it in the forefront of your head. You know, I'm, I'm going to be potentially in a wheelchair. It seems so far away and I'm still running around. So it probably won't happen. But then when the pain does start to come, uh, you, you begin to think, oh, crap. Um, what does this mean for me and for my future? And then when you go start going through the process of going to the doctors and the hospitals, it's a long, drawn-out process. And with invisible illness, it's very difficult to communicate to people what you're going through. And with a chronic invisible illness, it's very hard to show that you're failing slowly and more and more over time. You're, get, you're getting worse. You know, your, your ability to do regular things is decreasing, but you're not looking any different on the outside. It might be apparent that your mood is low, but, um, you know, it's not like you're watching a physical atrophy happen in front of you. So I, I don't know if I could have gone back in time, if anything I'd have done in my early teens when I had that prognosis could have changed my later life because I did suffer through 12 to 15 years of excruciating agony, um, which I lied about and masked and you know, gave myself an addiction to opiates and um, drank too much at times to try and cope with the pain and sleep and kind of cut myself off from friends and family to try and cope with it and not be embarrassed to say I was struggling. So I think maybe I could have dealt with it better, but I don't know that you can tell a 14-year-old whatever age I was um, at the time, what to do, because either the doctor tells you how to cope with it or they don't, and they didn't. So um, that was that. But, you know, the outcome is great for me in the end. I found a way to resolve what I was going through. It took a lot of energy and focus and kind of nearly jacked it all in a few times. But uh, I got there in the end. So at what point did you decide that you through all this, you wanted to come over to the United States and hike this 2,200 mile trail that spans all these states. 
I think, and I know he gets a lot of grief for this, and I know he's not everyone's favorite, but when I was about 19, 20, maybe it was about 20, I read Bill Bryson's A Walking Dead. Now, I know Mr. Bryson didn't make it all the way on the trail, and I know some of the things that he did or his friend did, you know, aren't fabulous for how we treat our outdoors. However, for me, growing up here in a little community on a peninsula, um, it was mind-boggling, the very idea that you could walk and keep on walking, that you could um, continuously follow a footpath that would just lead you to different communities, through different areas, different counties, different states. And it was an epic journey. Like you read about, I used to read like fantasy novels or Lord of the Rings and stuff. And the idea that that could exist in real life, an epic adventure with people you meet at inns and taverns and adventures on the way and side trails and it seemed pure magic to me and a total departure from the strict structures that we have in our everyday life and even as a 20 year old who at that point I think had been to the US once with my family um, and had no idea of the vastness of her still boggles my mind how vast the US is for my 20 year old mind heading to university on the train it was like a dream that one day, one day I would go to this incredible trail in America and just feel that level of absolute freedom. But of course, I didn't know how. I'd never been a hiker. I didn't know how to look after myself in the wilderness. Never done anything like that alone. So it seemed a long way off, but I was determined to do it. And then life took over and then I got very unwell. So it seemed that it would never happen. However, when I started to rehabilitate my body after I had my jaw realigned and after all the treatment on my mouth and the rest of my body, uh, which was the resolution to my pain in Italy, uh, in my kind of early, mid-30s, I thought, what can I do? What shall I do with my body that I nearly lost that would be an incredible challenge for this body and something that would make me feel full circle, totally fulfilled, um, like I'd stretched myself? beyond where I thought I would ever be. I know, it's the Appalachian Trail. It's to go back to that dream of me sitting on that train and, you know, 15 years before and to, to make it a reality. So that's when I started to plan to make it happen. And um, I dithered around a little bit. Re oh, it took me a while to rehab properly my body and get strong enough, but also I had a job in Hong Kong. And then a, one of my closest friends took his own life and he passed away. And when he and he died, that was the catalyst for me thinking it's now or never. You know, I, I can't be dilly dallying around now. I've got my body back. I can't be now lazy going, oh, yeah, well, it's something I might have done. I could do it if I want. It's like, just go do it. Life is short. These things um, are important to live your dream. So I planned it. And then I thought, I'll go and do it. And I'll go and do it southbound because that's meant to be even harder and even more kind of out there. And I actually didn't think I'd be able to finish the trail. I didn't think I'd get further than the 100-mile wilderness, to be honest, even though with all the will in the world I wanted to. And because over the years I'd entered so many mini triathlons and, and 5Ks or 10K runs and rowing championships, and because of my chronic pain and physical injuries that kept flaring up every time I tried to get to a position where I could do an event, I'd, my body would fail and flare up and I'd be in bed and in agony again. So I thought... Well, I feel so much stronger this time. It all feels different this time. But probably I'll just be on my ass again and have to come home in a terrible state because I've tried another, yet another thing I tried for, trained for, planned for, and my body let me down just before it. 
this time, I didn't come home from the 100 mile wilderness. I did come home about five, no, four months in because of my foot, but I went straight back out again and finished in the winter in the snow because I was determined. If I had to drag myself by my arms, I was going to finish the trip. And I've just got one tiny little bit left of the Smokies because we were blizzarded off the Smokies. We had to backtrack down from the Smokies in early December 2019. And then I had a flight to come home, which I couldn't miss. So we had to just skip past the Smokies and carry on to the end. So I'd just been back in the States to do some of the CDT and um, other bits and bobs. And while I was there, I went just two weeks ago to the Smokies to finish that section. First time I've been able to get back into the U.S since I finished the AT because of COVID. And there was like a hurricane, flash floods, lightning storms, trees falling down, a sinkhole and two landslides. So I had to get off halfway through the Smokies again. <laughs> but I will not be defeated as at some point I will come back to finish that last few miles. <laughs> you, you hiked the AT southbound, which isn't the popular way to do it. Um, most of the, the long trails in the United States, everybody likes to go likes to go Nobo. It's kind of the, the big trendy thing to do. Yeah, you go you go southbound. What was it like coming here? Did you did you did you know anybody? Were you hiking by yourself? Did you ever find a tramley? Did you just hike on your own with other people? What was what was that like getting here and and stepping foot not on Springer Mountain but at Katahdin coming down? Oh, it was just amazing. So it was truly awesome. I had a friend uh, came with me to do the 100 mile and then she flew back home. But when we came out, um, I'd done quite a bit of reading and research. So I knew that it was going to be remote. But the, the it was so difficult doing Katahdin on the first day. Um, she didn't do Katahdin. She waited for me in the campground and then we went into the 100 mile together. But it was um, it was like shockingly tough. For someone who'd not only never done consecutive days hiking like that, but to do it with such physical obstacles, with the fear of my pain flaring up, um, and in a different country where there was no, you know, I didn't really know anybody there at all. I came with my friend because it was nice to start with someone who I knew. But other than that, I kind of knew no one. I built a little bit of an online kind of community before I left, but very small. And the mosquitoes, the black fly, even shopping in the supermarkets to resupply was confusing and difficult because in my supermarkets over here, the UK supermarkets, not my supermarkets, you know, um, I know where everything is. I know what things are called. I know what snack food looks like. But I had to like relearn from the beginning what things are called, where they sit in the supermarket, what's appropriate to take on the trail as trail food from the States. Everything was back to front. I'd never hitchhiked before, and that's a little bit more uh, the done thing in the US on the trails, whereas here it's kind of frowned on and seen as very dangerous um, in some communities. And um, I'll tell you what, though, my English accent and being British and being kind of friendly and kind of perky and chirpy and positive, that was such a boon for me because I chatted to people. They realized I was from England. And then they wanted to know a little bit more. And I asked them questions about where they were from in the U.S. because I wanted to learn everything I could about every single place in the U.S. because I, I love it so much. So that very quickly allowed me to form friendships. And being so out of my element in a totally different country made me, especially when Alice uh, left and I was by myself, put me in a position where I, I was keen to be friendly and keen to make friends and say hello to people. And the trail is so friendly. People are so, so kind and welcoming and everyone is out there looking to be helpful 
and connect. Even if they want to actually hike alone, I think that um, even those people who are out there to seek solace and uh, solitude are still not going to be rude to you if you want to chat to them. So I found a tramony, found friends very quickly, and um, they interchanged in and out as you go through the trail because people come off, they go faster, they go slower. Um, but such is the nature of the trail. It's a very individual, um, it's a very individual pursuit through hiking, but done as a collective. So you have like a series of individuals milling around each other, genuinely caring for each other, but also with nobody putting demands on the other because you are there as an independent. So it's an interesting balance, um, but you're never really alone if you don't want to through hikes, unless you're doing something like the CDT where there are just less people around. Um, but yeah, as a Brit in the US doing one of those long trails, I felt welcomed. I felt like I was supported endlessly and I will never be able to repay my debt of gratitude to the, the trail angel community on the Appalachian Trail is something else. You get you get done with the Appalachian Trail, something that you weren't even sure you, you're going to be able to get through the, the 100 mile wilderness. Describe that feeling of having completed that trail after having had a lifetime of, of setbacks and and being told that you wouldn't even be able to walk at that point yeah i mean that's a that's a good question and a good point to make i think and i talk about this in my book on lost the idea of getting to the end um so before i started it was like will i ever get to the end and as i was doing it it's like oh the end becomes kind of a, a secondary abstract really because it's like you're just living in the day you're living in the moment part of the beauty of through hiking is, is what's happening today and your vision of the world and life becomes I guess a, just much more limited in in the best possible way um very Eckhart Tolle living in the moment power of now kind of stuff so when I finally walked to the top of Springer um I really did reflect and there's a tiny there's a little clip on my YouTube channel that is me reflecting in that moment that it's not about the beginning and the end it's about all of the messy middle you know the in between the people who you find out that you are um the struggles you face and how you face them whether it's with grace and with kind of an open heart and a willingness to work with what the trail brings your way that little dirt path that goes from maine down to georgia or georgia up to maine whichever way you'd like to do it it, it is if you let it be then it is a teacher, a guide, a friend. It's everything. So arriving at Springer in the sleet, in the freezing cold daytime with just my friend Fitbit, nobody else was around. It was utterly humbling, but it took a long time to process what I'd actually achieved. There was no like, yeehaw, woohoo um, feeling. It was much more reverential than that. And it was much more peaceful and humbling than that there was no I didn't have any bravado about it I just had humility and gratitude that my body had allowed me to get there and I definitely felt like it wasn't something I'd achieved against the odds it was a cumulative ending to um, a part of my life that I'd only been able to get to through my family my friends my doctors my practitioners um, the people who'd listened to me um, my my positive spirit and it was the ending of thinking I'll never maybe be able to do x y and z and the beginning of the next chapter of my life which was look what can be achieved anything is possible even like I was suicidal with my chronic pain 
um, and I was exhausted and I was broken. And there were times where I genuinely thought my life was over in any meaningful way. And to have come through all of that with grit and hope and determination to realize that um, all these dark alleyways that feel like they're the end, they're not. They can be turned into something else. They can be turned into a bright light. They can be turned into a different pathway, a different avenue. Um, so it was the beginning of something very hopeful and not an impulsive flash in the pan. Yeah, and now I'm going to do something else immediately. But just the time to really reflect and dig down into what it had taught me, which is really all surrounds the idea of kindness and community and that nobody is really an island and we all need to be linking in together to make everybody, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And um, so, so that's the kind of things it gave me to think about afterwards. And I did come home and realize that I'd walked the last 800 miles with two broken bones in my foot. The doctors in America had said it was tendonitis. But when I arrived home, they x-rayed it again. It was two breaks, one displaced. So that was humbling as well. That I, I, but I just knew with my kind of um, mindset, with all I'd been through, that I was going to get to the trail. So my power of my mind took me right to the end with two broken bones. And then I had to let that heal. And then COVID arrived. So um, I had my PCT permit for the next year. And of course, that was null and void because I wasn't going to go over and put anybody in danger and try and hustle over the border. And uh, Teoroa didn't work the following Christmas. So it was humbling again. You know, COVID takes you to a different level of, right, okay, what's life teaching us now about how we worked with the planet, with nature, with each other? which is another conversation. But yes, I would say that it was no chest bumping, fist bumping, hooray at the end of the trail. And I think if you may speak to other hikers, which I know that you do, potentially that's other people's experience as well. There is joy that you've got there, but it's such a long earned, hard, long process to get there. But it's not like running a sprint and then high-fiving. It's a lifetime over six months spent in the woods, uh, kind of almost being reborn, if you like. <laughs> in some way so you finish the trail you get home you have two broken bones in your foot you want to go to the pct that doesn't work out covid hits the ta in new zealand doesn't work out the world's kind of a mess for lack of a better term and then you mentioned your book and i've seen all the work you've done on youtube at what point did you decide i've been through all this adversity i i I accomplished this this journey um, on the Appalachian Trail. I'm going to start taking my experiences to encourage and uplift other people, put out some videos on YouTube, make my Instagram a platform for positivity and and uh, journaling my your your journey and then publishing a book on what you've been through. What what was that process like once you got off trail? Well, I'd always um, enjoyed writing and um, been a teacher for so long. I've often helped people shape their work and their essays at, you know, A-level. Um, I'm a historian also, so I've always loved learning um, about history, but through the eyes of real people. So I'm interested in narrative storytelling in lots of different shapes and formats. So I knew that I wanted to write at some point. And then when I started sharing my journey on Instagram, when I was on the AT, even sporadically, and started to become quite uh, honest about where I'd come from with pain and my body and where I was going with it and what I was trying to do and how hard it was or how joyful it was, just really putting myself on there unfiltered. 
the response from other people was so encouraging in that I was somehow managing to help other people with my honesty. And then people would tell me their stories and ask me questions or ask me their my thoughts or I hesitate to call it advice because I'm no expert, but what I would think about what they were facing and I would spend time communicating back and over time more people would come and I'd realize that potentially there it was a space where I could talk about what I was doing and that could be useful to other people. So that took that stage further. And when I couldn't go to the PCT and I couldn't go to the Teoroa, the Teoroa, um, I thought, well, I will write my book proposal. So I sent it to a couple of agents who both wanted it, which blew my mind. And then um, the agent I went with took it to a few publishers and a couple of those wanted it. Uh, and then I wrote the book. Uh, and so through lockdown, what I managed to do was to secure an agent, a publisher and um, write the book. And now still within COVID to some degree, and it's about to be released on Tuesday, the 7th of September. It's available on pre-order at the moment. It's great. Pre-ordering is, I didn't realize that pre-ordering is really helpful for authors to get the word out. It's called Unlocked. And it details the journey of the Appalachian Trail, but also pulls in all those threads of how I came to be there and, and how healing it is and um, how joyful community can be and the outdoors, et cetera, all those themes that I've touched on here. So it's like I couldn't take a physical external journey. So instead, I took an internal journey and I put that journey down on paper. I think I'm going to keep using my um, my platform and keep building on Instagram for sharing um, that with difficulties because difficulties don't ever stop coming they always come up sometimes in different formats you know whether it's mental health difficulties further physical difficulties COVID difficulties confidence difficulties body image difficulties they always keep coming and it's about creating a toolkit for yourself of resilience the community online to share your worries with and together we keep the ship kind of steering through the rocks and you can get to great places even if you don't go fast you can still push your own boundaries and help to assuage your own fears um, without comparing yourself to other people. So, yeah, I'm going to continue in that vein. Um, and I'm having talks about the next book and maybe a little series of books for young people. What do you hope people will take away from not only your book on loss, but your journeys that you go through? They've gone through the stories that you tell that you tell. I mean, even as I, I was watching you on Instagram through your recent journey to the States, the CDT, losing your luggage, having basically everything kind of go wrong <laughs> on your trip. One thing after another um, on your latest trip to the U S you kept an amazing attitude about the whole thing, even though you could tell you were stressed and it was, it was a stressful situation. I mean, as anyone who's ever dealt with United and lost their bags before, will tell you it's a very difficult thing to deal with. But you kept this attitude and you, you kept this perspective that was, was admirable. Um, what drives that for you? Um, that's a good question. Yeah, it was really tricky, this trip to the States, because literally everything that could go wrong nearly did go wrong. So I, So always I've had this attitude that if something goes wrong, you... The only way to make the best of something that goes wrong is to see what you can learn from it, turn it into a game. So I often turn things into games as if it's a puzzle or a challenge or if it's in a book I'm reading, you know, like a choose your own adventure book. What are the options? Which one's going to work? Can you figure out the puzzle of, oh, look, I need to come and hike the Smokies and I've just flown across the country to do so and I've bought my permit for these days, but now 
this piece of the puzzle's happened, which is United has yeeted my bag somewhere completely different, and it won't be back in time. So instead of just getting upset, which would be an entirely understandable reaction, giving up and just thinking, screw this whole god, I'm going home. Um, I just kind of thought, right, well, this is a cool challenge. What can I do to resolve it? Oh, I can borrow some kit. I see if I could get here, get there. I can make friends with the lady in the luggage place. It'd be really sweet to her because she must have to deal with angry people all day. So why don't I just be a nice person? She's probably. And then she might remember me and then be more likely to help me and might get the bag quicker or give me options. How can I make this situation a puzzle that I could solve? And so I did. And I did solve it. And I got my borrowed kit. She kept an eye on my gear for me. It all worked out. And it feels satisfying to have navigated through some choppy waters. Um, and I think having also in my life sat down and gone hunk and given up, it's much more satisfying to have navigated through the choppy waters if you have the energy to do so, because it's also really exhausting. Um, but I think, I mean, some people just have uh, a positive a positive outlook and that things will be okay. I generally do have quite a positive outlook, which sometimes it's not that I work hard at it, it's just my baseline. But I'm not always that way, and you just have to dig a bit deeper to try and find um, the energy to give you the mindset that, oh, there could be, there could, there's got to be gold in this somewhere, or there's a lesson I can learn, or this mistake is completely irreversible, and it's a complete balls up, and I've lost that job, or I've ruined that, meeting or I've lost that item forever however what one thing can I take away from this so it's not a total loss so I'm always trying to look for the gold in any situation I think and I think people could take away from my if I would on anyone I'd like anyone to take something from my story to take any one thing it would be that nothing is ever as bleak as it may appear in the moment give it time sleep on it Look at it from a different angle. Ask for some advice, but never write anything off, even if it's you know really difficult at the time or very difficult news. There will be something in there that can teach you something, where you can help other people. I often also find that when you things are really bad for you, if you step out of your own problem, even though it can be very difficult to do so, and find someone else with a problem that you can help often that puts you in a much better frame of mind to come back to your own problem. So being a teacher, that happened to me a lot when I was suffering and struggling with a lot of pain and I dragged myself into schools. I was head of faculty and I'd have to hold meetings with staff who had problems, deal with a lot of students who were having difficulties. If I could focus on the students' difficulties and have meetings with them and help them resolve whatever was happening for them at home or if they were self-harming or if they were this, that and the other, having panic attacks, if I could start to begin to help them and brighten them and help them step out of their situation, then when I return to my own situation, I'm looking at it in a slightly different, more hopeful way. Because There's something about that transference of care and love to somebody else that helps open up a space for care and love to fall back into So that's where I am with my, with my mindset. And when people read my book, if they read my book, they'll see that you can go from the pits of despair to a place of triumphant self-confidence and it's not an easy linear pathway but it's possible to get there if you have hope that things will improve I think hope is is great and I don't think you can have just naive hope I think you also have acceptance that things are tough that you might be in a terrible situation uh, yet still the hope that things would improve you know a doctor told me I wouldn't be able to walk and I should get a disability badge for my car and give up my job um, and be ready to lose everything allowed me independence 
So I had to accept that that was what he told me would happen, yet still keep hope that I could change that prognosis and there was a way around it. Uh, and there was. But if I'd have just accepted what he said and sat down and just thought that's me for the rest of my life, um, without the hope attached to it, I maybe would never have come through to where I got to finishing the Appalachian Trail or even thinking that I had the confidence to start it. So these two things I think are important to marry together. Hope. Never let anyone tell you to give up hope. My next question is how has hiking changed you from the time you were 15 getting this diagnosis to now just coming back from the States through all those adventures on the CDT and having hiked the Appalachian Trail? How has hiking changed you? Um, I think probably in myriad ways, but something that um, I think of off the top of my head is that pre-hiking and pre-long-distance um, you know, exposure into the outdoors, I was on a track where I valued things that weren't serving me, whether that was how I, you know, how many contacts and connections I had in my kind of city life, uh, the events I was attending, the gigs I was going to, the clothes I could buy, the tech stuff I could get, whether I was going to get a car or whatever, you know, materialistic things in busy cities. And I'm not really, I've not really ever been a materialistic person, but even a little bit of materialism from materialisticness for me doesn't work, makes me less happy. But also that I felt like I needed to be someone if I was improving in my career, if I was getting promotions, if I was getting paid even more, you know, I had more responsibility, more accreditations on my on my CV, on my resume. But actually, after being out in the woods like that, after being immersed in the outdoors, after hiking, the community, the nature, the wildness, it just realigned for me what is important. And those things that we are often taught are really important career trajectory, um, increasing income exponentially. I know that a good baseline income to provide yourself with shelter, food and safety is absolutely vital. But that exponential, I'll get more stress on my plate so I can get a better job, so I can get paid even more. So, you know, that's not a pathway that takes you anywhere. There's no one waiting at the end with a medal to tell you you've finished, you've arrived, you've won the race. Because there is no race. You're just you um, trying to live a comfortable life and be happy. And I think a lot of the things we are directed to these days in our culture being out on the trail has repointed really me towards the things that do make me happy that might not be those things that I mentioned before the career, the flashy this. It's nature, friends, community, giving back, working for free for people. You know, where, where can I sustain my own life and, and live a comfortable life that makes me feel secure and happy? But where's the space in my life to give back? to be protecting things that are important to me, like the environment, and to be making more wonderful, solid friendships with people from all over the world that I might never have come in contact before if I hadn't have been on those trails and in the hiking. So it, the trail and hiking for me was a blessing and a huge gift um, that allowed me to see the world in a different way. And however I can pay that forward, I will always try to continue to do so. Gail, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your story. If somebody wanted to follow you online or buy your book, where would they go? What would they do? 
Oh, I'd love it if people would like to do that. So come and find me on the Gail Muller on Instagram and on Facebook, G-A-I-L-M-U-L-L-E-R, the Gail Muller. And my book can be found on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, or you know, Amazon.co.uk. All over the place. It's in New Zealand, it's in Australia, it's all over Europe, and it will be going live and being released. It's an audio book as well. So if you have enjoyed my clunky British accent, feel free to get it on Audible. <laughs> Oh, and I have a website, Andy, I meant to say, sorry. My website is gailmuller.com and I have a monthly newsletter with loads of great stuff about hiking, the outdoors and people sharing their stories too. So feel free to come and sign up for that. And thank you so much for having me on, Andy. It's been lovely. Yeah, wasn't that stinking amazing? I had the best time talking with gail and you all need to go pick up our book like if you're listening to this on friday the fourth or third friday the third september third pre-order it now and that way you can get it uh if you don't want to use amazon the amazon link is in the description of this episode um go to your barnes and nobles go to your borders go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it um just go ahead and click on the amazon link you can get the little isn is whatever code there and just tell your bookseller hey your local bookstore hey i'd like this book um can you order it and buy it through them you can if you if you can't afford the book go to your public library and ask them to buy a copy and have it so you can check it out libraries do that but you need to get this book i'm super excited to get it i also have uh the audiobook on pre-order as well um i'm super stoked uh, just because she's from England and something about an English accent is just so calming to listen to. I don't know. But Gail, thank you so much. You are inspiring. Thank you for coming on the show and being so cool. Um, wish you all the success with this book and many more books to come, as you had mentioned in this episode. Thank all of you for listening through the entire show. I do need to thank our sponsors, of course. First of all, I want to shout out the Patreon patrons, as we like to call them. That's Allie, Matthew, Elizabeth, Maggie, Ava, Annette, Renee, Alistair, Stephanie, Mike, Danielle, Danielle, Ren, Jacob, Tommy, and Deb. If you would like to uh, help out the show, become a Patreon. Uh, if you are in the top tier Patreon, I send you uh, a week supply of CS Instant Coffee. There's buttons, there's stickers. We haven't done the meetups yet just because I, I haven't, I need to do, I owe all the Patreons meetups. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be doing that here um, coming the end of September. But if you wanna help the show out, it's a, it's a big, a great way to help help me out. It help, helps me get gear, helps me, um, you know, just be able to do this show and be able to make it better. Also wanna thank our sponsors, CS Instant Coffee. See us instant coffee who uh, make the best instant coffee on the trail and just recently gave out a year supply to Ryan Ferguson of CS instant coffee. And uh, you can still win. And if you want to win, um, you have three more weeks. Go to the link in the description of this episode. Check out using the promotional code hiker podcast, which I believe you also get 10% off. Um, your order as well and you're entered in to win a year supply of cs instant coffee and you can be like ryan where you get a packet every month meet all your needs for hiking and trail through the winter that warm now oh man it's getting oh it's got a little crisp this morning it was 46 degrees here smoky but i got outside i'm like oh wow 
I need my puffy. My puffy on for like two seconds and I got too hot. But anyways, you, you want that hot, warm coffee in those winter months as you're snowshoeing down the Pacific Crest Trail. You you need it, it's a win win. You buy some coffee, you get coffee, and you get entered into win more coffee. Um, and see, a sense of coffee has been great to the show and Kanak uh, Outdoors makers of the carbon fiber cork trucking poles and of course all your water storage needs on the trail and for camping uh if you order a uh, a trucking pole a new one or a set of trucking poles you get 10 percent off if you use the promo code hiker podcast and i'm excited to be doing more stuff with knock outdoors here pretty soon I also have a new sponsor coming up here um i'll talk more about next week wildly goods they are maker of uh, merino wool socks, which I was a little skeptical of because we all have socks that we kind of all use on the trail. But I tried these and my gosh, like it was it was just a game changer for me and my feet hiking and on the trail. So um, if you go to hikerpodcast.com, you'll see the link there and you can find out more about them. Wildly Goods. You'll see a bear and it'll say Wildly Goods at the bottom where it says Partners next to Kanaka Outdoors and CS Instant Coffee. But I will talk more about them Next week, guys, this 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 summer has been a little, little campfire talk with Andy here. This summer has been insane for me. Um, not in good ways, really. It's been a lot of canceled plans. I was supposed to hike the Tahoe Rim Trail, but as I'm talking about this, the Tahoe Rim Trail is closed completely. Um, many of the portions of the PCT and the Tahoe Rim Trail through the Desolation Wilderness are currently on fire. And um, it's just that the, the fires and the smoke this summer have really wrecked a lot of people's plans, whether it was on the PCT, the CDT, um, the TRT. I know it's, it's been it's been tough, which I will continue to advocate that the weather and the climate is changing. And as those of us who love the outdoors, uh, who love public lands, we have to advocate to our um, elected officials to make the changes necessary. And also we need to make the changes necessary to make an impact. So this doesn't completely have un unreversible um effects which it already looks like in may the climate is changing and but this summer has been tough i haven't been able to i was planning on already summoning up to mount mclaughlin for the first time but the smoke has prevented me from doing that and uh yeah it's been really tough but you know what i've been encouraged by you the hiking and outdoor community how cool you've been to me i've been encouraged by how this platform has afforded me other opportunities uh in a new career in the outdoors and in media making filmmaking and even like plus size modeling for me outdoor plus size modeling and it's cool to see how the outdoor industry is changing and making sure that hiking is for everybody everybody which has been super cool and you all have been a part of that for me and i just thank you i thank you every week because you all are just an amazing group of listeners i mean this podcast it's consistently in the top 50 outdoor wilderness podcast which blows my stinking mind like what the heck I'm just, I started out as a dude with a, you know, a USB mic and a laptop. And now, you know, I got my board here and this cool mic and y'all are just amazing. So guys, thank you so much. If you want to follow me on uh, the social medias, you can follow me at Andy Films and Hikes. Connect with me there. Talk with me. You know, I want to conversate about hiking life, all those things. Hit me up on Instagram. Also, all the information about the Hiker Podcast, go to hikerpodcast.com. We do have a group on Facebook. I would love to see 
more interactions on. Um, if you're in that group, post some stuff, start some conversations. Um, I, I would love to. Yeah. Anyways, just search Hiker Podcast on Facebook. You'll find it. Also at Hiker Podcast on Instagram as well. All the information is at hikerpodcast.com, including the uh, links for all of our partners and sponsors and how to become a Patreon, all that fun stuff. Also, you go to hikerpodcast.com. You'll find a P.O. box. Not really a P.O. box. It's a mailing address. If you want to send me a card, a sticker um, like Alistair did, I would love it. If you're on the trail and want to send me a postcard like, hey, greetings from the Continental Divide Trail, greetings from the Colorado Trail. I, I, I would I would love it. I would absolutely love it. So. The address for that is at hikerpodcast.com. Just click on connect or contact, I believe, and it's there. So with all that said, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We have many more amazing episodes planned through the fall months. Yes, fall is here. Autumn is here. I've gotten my pumpkin spice latte already. I'm not putting up Halloween decorations yet, though, because I'm waiting for the average temperature to get below 90 degrees before I do that guys thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the hiker podcast here we go Yeah.